As we have been studying the book of Romans, we have seen the gospel. With such clarity, we have looked at the gospel. The gospel that is a gospel that is the power of God to salvation. The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's the power of God to take us and to save us. To mold us and to conform us into his image. It's the righteousness of God that's revealed. The righteousness of God, our perfect God without spot or blemish that is placed upon us, that comes to us by faith. And it tells us that the just shall live by faith. He's so clear in in the first five chapters of the book of Romans to show us so clearly that we are sinners. To show us so clearly that, that there's none that are righteous. There's not even one of us that's righteous. There's none of us that is seeking after him. There's none of us that desires to do good. That our hearts are incredibly wicked apart from the regeneration that comes by the Holy Spirit becoming believers. He lays out for us that every one of us, our mouths would be stopped, that the whole world is guilty before God. And that he presents to us the gospel. And he says that it's, it's a righteousness that's even the righteousness of God that comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. He tells us in, in, in chapter 3 that it's him that is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And he comes to a place at the end of chapter 3 saying, so where is boasting then? Is there any, is there any hope for us as far as being able to, to boast in who we are and what we have done in our own flesh, and his answer is, it is excluded. No, there's no boasting that could take place. We're told that it's God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. It's God that does that. It's God that takes our sin and removes it and replaces it with his righteousness. He goes through examples of Abraham and and asking the question of, was he saved by faith or was he saved by works? And the answer is that he was saved by faith. In chapter chapter 5, he goes through again and, and tells us that when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we had nothing to offer him, he died for the ungodly. The chapter concludes by saying in verse 20 of of Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And we looked at that last week, and we saw that, that... Sin abounds within us. That you could look at the course of your life. You could look at, at 
from the very beginning to the day of salvation and look at your, the, the entirety of, of that time period and look at your life and be able to look and say, sin abounded in my life. There, there's things in your life that you may look upon and say, I'm so thankful that no one knows that I did these things. Things that we would just be totally and completely ashamed of. And there may be things in our life in which we look at and we say, people do know that I have done these things. People do know that I, I did these things. The person sitting next to me knows the depth of my sin. They know what it is that I've done. And then you look at, at your life, even as a Christian, and you look and you know that, that although you have been saved from sin, and God's made you a new creation in Him, there's still sin that's there. There's still sin that's in your life that, that we continue to fight the sin that is there. And sin abounds. It abounds. And regardless of the depth of our sin and how we see ourselves, if we're honest, we look and we see that it's, it's everywhere. It abounds and even the most righteous of people, there's sin that abounds in us. And we look and we see, but grace abounded much more. However much sin was in your life, God's grace abounds much more. Paul, has, as he has gone through these first five chapters, has been so clear to articulate that the gospel that he preaches, the gospel that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is one in which he, he just floods us with abounding grace. It's not of works. It's not of merit. It's not of anything that we could ever do to earn his favor. It's all of grace. It's not as a result of the law or us keeping the law. It's the result of him keeping the law in all its perfection while he was here on earth and fulfilling all righteousness and then giving that righteousness to us as people. And it's all of him to where there's no boasting for us at all, but all the boasting that would take place is boasting in Christ and boasting in the cross and boasting in the fact that he paid it all, he did it all. And all of our adoration and all of our debt has been to, to him. He is the one who has done it all. And he has been so clear on that that those that would have listened to his preaching would come to ask a question, and that's the question that we find at the very beginning of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He preaches in a way in which he knows that as a result of Romans 1 through 5, as a result of the gospel being proclaimed, that there's those that are going to look and say, you mean that it's all of grace. It's not by law. It's not by us keeping the law, but it's all of grace. It's, you're saying that it's all of grace. There's no boasting that he takes all of his righteousness and places it upon you. He takes all of your, your sin and place, it's placed upon Christ upon the cross to where from beginning to end, it's all coming by grace through faith and all of the glory goes to him. He knows that that's the place that we'll come to because that's the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel is that salvation comes by faith alone and it's by God's grace alone that it comes to us and all the glory goes to him for our salvation that the question comes, what do we say then? How do we respond to this? 
How do we respond to the doctrine of justification by faith alone? If we know that we're justified by faith alone and not by works, that we'll be saved from the wrath because all the wrath we deserve was placed upon Christ as he shed his blood for us on the cross. If we know that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, how do we respond? And his question is, what do we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound. If it's all of grace through faith in Christ, if it's all the result of what God has done for us and it's not as a result of our own works, if where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, should we continue in sin that grace might abound? Should we take God's grace as a license to sin? Should we keep living in sin and presume upon the grace of God? There are those in the history of the Christian church who have presumed upon the grace of God and used it as a license to sin in extreme measures. In Jude it says there's certain men that have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord the grace of our God into lewdness or into a, a license for immorality and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ there's those that turned the grace of God into lewdness turned the grace of God into a license for sin met people where you talk to them and you call them to repentance and their response is no. Like I'm, I hear you. I know what it says. But no. I'm not going to do it. The reason why there's church discipline that is laid out for us in Scripture so that we could approach them. So approach them as a church, two or more, or as a church. If they don't come to repentance, we're to assume that they are an unbeliever. Treat them as an unbeliever. And yet I find this to happen. Think of a, a pastor who I knew who committed adultery against his wife when she was pregnant with their first child and said, I'm leaving. And being called to repentance and being called to reconcile with his wife, his response was, no, I'm not, I will not do that. I'm going to divorce her, and then I think that God's calling me to a ministry of ministering to other divorced people. He was serious. He's looked at it as, no, I, I refuse to repent. And, and I will just make my ministry ministering to people who are just like me, who also refuse to repent, or in some situations, 
divorce is biblical and, and God makes an, a, an allowance for that. But in his mind, it was just, no, I have no biblical grounds to divorce you, but I'm just going to make that my ministry. And the last I checked, he continued to serve in a church. No, no discipline that took place, no repentance. He knew the gospel. And yet in his heart is, I will sin and just ask for God's grace to abound. And we can look at cases like that and think, that's terrible. And yet, if we're honest, this, this problem is in, within us as well. We look in, in Scripture, and we see that he tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, there's no temptation that has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God makes a way of escape for us. And yet there are times in our lives in which we know what God says, we know what is right, and yet we willingly sin thinking we'll just confess it tomorrow. We'll sin and then we'll just First John 1, 9 it. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And in our minds, when faced with temptation, rather than saying, he makes a way of escape for us, our response might be, no, I desire this too much. I'll live as if, I'll do everything I can to keep God even from being in my mind as I pursue this particular sin. And then I'm just going to ask for forgiveness tomorrow. Or I'll just ask for forgiveness later today. And I know he'll forgive me because he tells me that he'll forgive me. He tells me if I confess my sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to sin and then I'll just confess it later. And we know with certainty that where sin abounds in the life of the believer, in the life of the one who has placed their hope in Christ, grace abounds much more. But if the question is, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? His response is, certainly not. Certainly not, or some of your translations may say, God forbid, or may it never be. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Certainly not. God forbid that we think that way. And then he goes on, throughout much of the rest of this chapter to give an explanation of that. Why is it that we should not think that way? 
see here that he goes on by saying, shall, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. May it never be. God forbid. For how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And that's his response to begin with. May it never be because you died to sin. How did that happen? If you look down just a few verses, Romans 6, 5 says this. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You have been united together in the likeness of his death. Or again in verse 6, Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So should we sin that grace might abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he defines it as he goes on through the rest of the chapter to say, we die to sin because when Christ died upon the cross, we died with him there. When he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he rose again from the dead, we rose again with him in newness of life. There has been this radical change that's taken place in our lives. Look at, at Romans 6.11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. How did this happen? It is because you died with him. Imagine Christ upon the cross. All of your sin, every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that you ever will commit was placed upon him on the cross. And when he died, all of the wrath that any one of us ever deserved was placed upon him. So there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All of God's wrath was placed upon Christ as he hung on the cross, as he took all of our sin upon himself, as he became sin for us on the cross, so that when he died, we died with him. We died with him. And so the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write these things to say, should we sin that grace might abound? Certainly not because we died to sin with him. Why would you live any longer in it? It's important for us to understand what takes place in our salvation. You, you, you see in, in Romans chapter 3, 1, 2, and 3, as we've got, looked at the, the depth of our sin, that every, every one of us is, is totally guilty. Our mouths are stopped. We're, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're enemies of God. And upon regeneration, there's, 
this radical new birth that takes place. You're no longer dead, but you have been made alive. You're no longer covered in sin, but you're, you're clothed with robes of righteousness. You're, you're no longer in a place of being blind, but you're able to see. You're no longer an enemy of God, but you have been adopted into the family of God. You've been made his bride. You've been made his child. And, and there, there's a new creation that has come up. You see in, in Scripture where it tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. There's radical rebirth that took place. Sometimes it's hard to see because we know that we still struggle with sin. But it is absolutely amazing what God has done in us. Taking a heart that was stone and gave us a heart of flesh. You are totally and completely, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a new creation in him. Old things have passed away. They have all become new. The sin that once covered you was nailed to the cross as Christ died to where you are no longer in a place of being covered in your sin but you're covered with righteousness it's been removed when God looks upon you he sees you in Christ and so in this call to sanctification in this call to to Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He points us directly to the cross. And he says, absolutely not for you died to sin. All of the sin that that you once were in bondage to, you died to it when he died upon the cross. You were found in him. You've been raised in newness of life, why would you ever, ever want to continue to live in that state in which you died to when he died on the cross? Why would you want to stay in that particular place? Verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Think of the beginning of that verse. Or do you not know? You see, he's writing to the church of Rome. He's never been to this particular church. We don't know that they've ever sat under apostolic teaching. And yet, he is presuming that they should know this. He's presuming that this is elementary to them. This is something that they ought to know. It's it's a question, or don't you know this? There has been a movement that has taken place in the church today in which there has, has been such a dumbing down of, of sermons, of books that are, are written. You look in the bookstore of like the best sellers and they're just, it, it, 
so much of it appears to be so watered down in just Christian psychology, self-help stuff. I read, I love reading from the Puritans, but when I read from the Puritans, I, I can't, you, you, you can't just like breeze through it. So you go through, like if you read someone like Jonathan Edwards, you read it and you, you look in, and it's like, I got to read that again and again. And I find myself when I'm reading from him, I'm, I'm frequently coming to a place of like, how do you think like that? I don't think like that. I wish, I, I wish my brain worked like that. See the way that he's thinking, the conclusion that he comes to, and it's, how does he think like that? And you, you read from someone like John Owen, or you read from so many others, you read the, the sermons of someone like Spurgeon and how he preached to just multitudes of people, I mean, thousands upon thousands of people, and it's deep, and it's doctrinal, and he's going through, and it's just truth that goes forward, and yet we have, across so many churches throughout the world, services in which the Bible is rarely opened, and they look and say, people don't want to hear doctrine. They don't want, they want the stories, the funny stories. They want entertainment. They want to be entertained. I got so tired of reading when I was a youth pastor books on being a youth pastor because so often they'd say things like, one minute for however many years old the kid is. That's all they can handle is one minute. So if they're 15 years old, don't do any longer than a 15-minute sermon. That's all they can handle. And I remember thinking like, it's not true. They can handle far more. They sit and listen to lectures on, you know, physics or calculus. I didn't, but some people do. There's <laughs> so a member of our church who said, when I saw that there was a Japanese pastor, I thought, that's so weird. Was he not good at math or something? <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> but you look at it and we can handle much more. He assumes that we know these things because it's elementary. It affects us. It affects the believer to look and say, as many of us as we're baptized into Christ, as many of us who are believers, who are found baptized as far as being found in Christ, these also were baptized into his death. When he died, we died with him. Every one of us who is a believer, when, when Christ died upon that cross and all the sin was placed upon him, we died with him. So that death would lose its sting. It would no longer have dominion over us. His power would be removed. 
sin would be removed. The power of sin would be removed. The guilt that would come with it would be removed because all of it was placed upon him. So then when we're beating ourselves up as far as looking at ourselves and say, I haven't done enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not living well enough, and we're looking at it and we're condemning ourselves and putting this heavy weight upon ourselves because of the sin that's in our life, his response would be, don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? All of us died with him. So that there is no need for us to die again. The idea of, I'm just going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to crucify myself. He's saying, you died with him. You have no ability to do that to yourself, and there's no need to do that to yourself, because when he died upon the cross, you and I, we all died with him. And then he goes on and he says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's been this radical change that has taken place in your life because you who were that old man, you died and you died with Christ as he hung upon the cross and you rose again with him in newness of life to where you're a new creation in Christ And then he tells us, as a result of these things, even so, you should walk in newness of life. It shouldn't be that you're the same person that used to exist when you were still dead in your sins and trespasses. There's been something absolutely amazing, something that's just absolutely miraculous. The creator of this universe through the Holy Spirit has come down and regenerated you, changed you taken you who were dead and made you rise again in newness of life, taken all your sin away, and he's made you a child of God, and he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He called you. He chose you from the foundations of the world. He called you. He'll continue to mold you and form you and conform you into the image of Christ. You will be glorified for all eternity. These are things that he has done for you. There's this radical change that's taken place. And so when the question comes up, should we sin, continue in sin that grace may abound? It's God forbid, certainly not, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? I mean, this, this place in which these people, this old man who you once were, could never have done in that you were bound in in just chained to your sin and bondage to your sin. You've been brought up into newness of life to where now the Holy Spirit resides in you. He convicts you. He molds you and conforms you into the image of Christ. Those things that you once found to be pleasurable, now you look at and it's just, I hate these things. I want to run from these things. God, help me. Help me to put the full armor of God on. Help me to make every effort to stand. Help me to, to take your word and have it be in my heart that I might not sin against you. Help me to have people around me that I could call upon to hold me accountable, to, to be there, to encourage me, because I don't want to be that person anymore. How can I be? I died with him my, in my sin. It, it was crucified with him. I've been brought up in newness of life. Why would I ever want to go back to being in that place ever again? 
nor can you. Can't. You look at it, love a, a quote by, by John Stott where he says, A born-again Christian should no more think of going back to the old life than an adult to his childhood, a married man to his bachelorhood, or a discharged prisoner to his prison cell. It's weird when someone who is an adult tries to act like a kid again, to go back to being a child again. You can, you can think about it. You can, you can try to go back to that particular place. Some of you guys do. <laughs> I do sometimes. I think of like, Times where I've gone out there on the soccer field and just served balls over and over again, kicked them and kicked them and sent crosses over and over again. Did that one time. I hadn't done it for a long time. And I, I went and like, I, I just kept kicking balls like I used to do. They were good balls. They were going where they were supposed to go. But afterwards, I couldn't move my foot. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I couldn't move my toes. I couldn't. I thought like, I thought that it had become totally paralyzed. I couldn't, I couldn't move them. I, I, I walked off the field just dragging my foot. Like I, I'm like, what? Something has happened. And it, something did happen. I, I'm not the kid anymore that can do that. And we can go back and we can try to do those things. But ultimately, I never can go back and be a kid again. I watched Jonathan, and he's like, there's so many times I look at him, and I just think, that's exactly what I would have done. You do the exact same thing I would have done. But I can't be him again. can never go back to being a five-year-old. And you can't. You look, and you're a new creation in Christ. You can look at the old man and say, we're going to do some of these same things again. But ultimately, you can't go back to being dead in sin again. You can't go back to having a heart of stone. You can't go back to being blinded to the glories of God. You can't go back to being the old man again who's still under condemnation because Christ has made you new. And he tells us he's given us an inheritance that's incorruptible and it's undefiled. And it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, and it's kept by the power of God. And he tells us that he holds us in his hand, and the Father who's greater than all holds us in his hand, and there's no one that can snatch you away. He tells us that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He tells us that he'll leave the 90 and 9 and go after the one that went astray. And so you can go back and you can try to be the kid again. You could go back and you could try to be the bachelor again. You could go back and try to put yourself back in the prison cell again. But the bottom line is that God will discipline you. He will bring you back to where you're supposed to be and continue to grow you in your relationship with Christ. And if he, if he doesn't go after you as you've gone astray, if he doesn't go after you, it, it makes it evident that you don't belong to him. Look at people who are in sin. And they, they come to me and they say, I, I always get caught. Someone always finds out. 
I always get caught, and I look and I think, then be of good cheer. God is chastening you. He's chastening you. As a kid, my dad disciplined me. My other siblings more. No, I'm just kidding. Angela and Melissa never got spankings. That's why. For those of you guys who know them, that's why. They act like they do. Jeff and I, man, we, we got spanked all the time. I mean, it seemed like just a daily activity. But my dad didn't, didn't do that to my friends. He didn't spank them. Although they needed it sometimes, he didn't spank them because they weren't his. We, we disciplined Jonathan. We disciplined Natalie. But I, I don't discipline your kids because they're not mine. And you look at it and God tells us that a father chastens. Chastens those that he loves. And if you're in a place where you just live in sin and you sin that grace might abound and there's no conviction that comes into your heart and there's no chastening that's occurring, the first question that I'd have for you is, do you belong to him? Because he's saying, how shall we, we believers who died to sin, live any longer in it? Why would we continue to live in it? God will chasten you. He'll bring you to repentance. He'll bring you to a place of longing and desiring for him and hating sin and wanting to pursue righteousness. It will happen because that's what God has done in your life as a believer. So he asked the question, or do you not know that as many of us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death? And that is to be a verse that motivates us to not sin that grace might abound. It's to be that which causes our thinking to change where we look at it and say, okay, I do know that. Why would I ever sin that grace might abound if, if, if I died with him? My sin has been removed. That old nature has been taken. And although the old man comes up sometimes and, and I still struggle with sin, I know that I was crucified with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. It's a change that has occurred. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There ought to be a change that has occurred. And so when you're in the midst of being tempted, or you just feel defeated by the sin that's in your life, and you look and you think, I give up, I'm just going to do this and just pray that God forgives me. Or you, you take a, a mentality of just, 
when I get to heaven, I won't deal with this anymore, but right now I'm just going to deal with it. I'm just going to do it, and God's grace will abound. You said that last week, right? God's, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more, and I'll just continue to do and just be thankful that God just takes it all away. And that's your mentality in which you just look and you say, I sin that grace might abound. I, I live like that. My exhortation to you or God's exhortation to you through this particular passage is don't do that. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Let's close with Colossians 3. If you'll turn there with me. I read this in our scripture reading this morning. But let's read it in its entirety. Colossians 3.1 If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above And not on the things of the earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What what an incredible parallel passage to what we looked at. It puts teeth on it. It shows you details. Put off these things. Why? Because it, it was the old man and it was crucified with him. Walk in newness of life, and this is what those things should look like. Meekness, humility, forgiving one another. Above all, loving one another. There should be this radical difference because you're not that old man. Again, it was crucified with him. You're a new man in Christ, a new creation in Christ. 
everything's different and it should be that which we look upon and say, I don't ever want to be like that again. And I don't want to sin that grace might abound. I'm not going to think like that because Christ was crucified and I died with him and I'm new and I'm not in bondage to that anymore. I'm going to walk in newness of life and I'm not going to think that way. And when my thoughts go that direction, may God take us to Romans chapter 6 that it might be that which sharper than any two-edged sword and it keeps us from sin. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you alone can keep us from sin. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just cause these things to be in our mind and affect us, that we don't go off and, and, and continue in sin, that grace might abound with no discipline, with no chastening, with no listening to you, even making evidence that we aren't of you, Lord. I pray that we would look at it and come to repentance this morning if we have been thinking that way and come to a change in the way that we think, that we might pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, to be different. These things that Paul says that we ought to know, we know them now as we've read them in your word, and may they affect us this morning and throughout all the days of our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for... As you hung upon that cross, that we were able to be crucified with you. But we don't have to be crucified ourselves, nor can we. But we were crucified with you. We were buried with you. We rose again with you. There's newness of life that comes, and it's all by grace. May it change the way that we think about sin. Draw us, Lord, towards holiness, towards pleasing you, joyfully, joyfully living in word and in deed, in all that we do, to the glory of you, Lord. And may your people, as we sing this morning, may thanksgiving come forth from our hearts as we sing together as the body of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.